I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. That's page 885 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you. We're going to read Luke chapter 4, verses 36 through 53. do invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. As the disciples of Jesus were talking about these things, Jesus himself himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuously in the temple blessing God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been with us since day one of our steps as a church. Even when we were a church plant... You, Lord, were with us to bless us and to care for us. And so, Lord, we, pr- we pray that here as we come to a new chapter uh, as, a, in a, as a church, as we finish uh, the book that we have been uh, preaching through, that you would be with us and indeed with us to bless us and to bless us with the kindness of Christ. Show us his grace, his mercy, his truth. Pray that you would do all this through the work of your Holy Spirit, who is with us even now. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Goodbyes can be really hard. Um, I know this. I'm not a person who's really good with saying goodbye to people. Uh, And usually I I try to find my way to prolong it as long as I can. I put it off. Uh, But then when someone says, look, I have to go, I must be leaving now, it can really sting, can't it? 
You know, I even feel this way with the book of Luke, right? As we see Jesus departing and ascending into heaven and you could say leaving for a time his disciples, um, I not only wonder what were they thinking and, you know, that goodbye must have in some ways been, been hard. I, I wonder that. But also the main thing that I'm thinking at this point is we're done with the book of Luke. What do, what do we do? You know, it's been three years that our congregation has been working uh, through Luke. And so we come to the end of this passage and we see Jesus saying for farewell. And um, in, in a way, I, I have to, you know, I've, I'm thinking, wow, this feels really nostalgic and kind of, kind of sad. But Jesus in this passage gives us a farewell that does not lead to sadness or despondency. In fact, his farewell is full of joy. You see twice in this passage, in the beginning and in the end, it mentions that there is this joy that just radiates from Jesus' disciples, that even as Jesus is saying farewell, there's something about that farewell that just captivates their hearts. And they say, we can't but be filled with happiness and joy even as our Savior ascends into heaven and leaves, departs with his physical presence from us for a time. How can there be so much joy in this passage when Jesus is removed from their sight? How can there be so much joy for us as we come to an end of a chapter, the end of the book of Luke? Really, the answer has been found all along throughout this entire book as we've been studying it. But here we see it again, that our Savior, who is so full of care for his people, so full of care for you, he does not leave you stranded and alone. Instead, he designed his departure to give you exceedingly great joy. Everything about his departure and his ascension into heaven is designed like a gift to you to give you great joy. I want us to see that, that, that here as we see Christ farewell, his, his final sermon, you could say, and his final blessing, as we see this, what we're going to see is four farewell gifts, four of them, shining forth in this passage as Jesus personally designs and delivers them to you to give you joy. And the first real cause for joy that we see in this passage is this, that Jesus's departure means great joy for us because Christ is risen. And Jesus gives us proof of that resurrection. Right? That's the first thing we see in this passage. The first thing that Jesus wants to make just absolutely clear, though, that he does not want us to miss, is that the resurrection is real. That he was dead and now he's fully alive. And more than that, that resurrection life, um, life on, on a higher level of existence is pulsing through his veins. Now you think of that, you say, wow. Suddenly Jesus appears in a room full of his disciples. He says, peace to you. He invites them to inspect physical evidence that it really is him. Now, the disciples, I mean, you can understand what's 
probably going through their minds, right? It says it right here. They can't believe what they're seeing. Is this a ghost? Is this a spirit? Looks like Jesus, but he was, he's dead, right? I mean, they've heard um, reports from Peter and the two that were walking along the road to Emmaus that Jesus is risen, but seeing him, they still can barely believe it. They say, oh, this must be some sort of a spirit um, and not a physical body of Jesus. It takes them a while to sort this all out. And uh, what's so interesting to me about this is there's actually a theory that denies the resurrection of Jesus. And it says that um, what the disciples actually, what was actually happening is they were hallucinating, right? They all got a hold of some sort of mushrooms or something. And they, they were all together having this hallucination of Jesus. And they thought it was him, but, but he wasn't there physically. Now, what's so silly about that is that the disciples thought that that kind of thing was actually happening in the text. They thought that they were seeing something that really wasn't there, a spirit or a ghost, some sort of hallucination right in front of them. And they actually have to be convinced that that's not what is right in front of them. But slowly but surely, they really are convinced that that's a strong evidence for the, the, uh, the fact that the resurrection is real, that it actually happened. What does Jesus do to prove this to him? Um, He takes these final moments that he has with them, physically with them on earth, uh, to show them that he really is raised from the dead. What does he do? He shows them his hands and his feet. Why? Because there are the wound marks, right, of the crucified Savior, the nails that were driven through his hands and through his, his, um, his feet that pierced him. He points to those and says, If what you're seeing is a hallucination, then what are these? Touch me. See, I'm real. I'm here. And then he does something that at first you say, what on earth? He says, I'm hungry. You have anything to eat? When I was in um, high school, there were a group of guys uh, that loved a good breakfast. We were also Christian young men and we... um, so we took this verse, says, Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? We put it on a t-shirt and we, we created a breakfast club. Every Friday, we'd get together, have omelets and uh, pancakes and sausage, whatever our hearts desired. And we would eat and we would eat. And, but here's the thing. Ghosts can't do that, right? A spirit can't take a piece of broiled fish and digest it and chew it and digest it. You know, that doesn't happen. That only happens with a physical body, a, a real person. And that's what Jesus is doing. You know, he's saying, look, this is going to take you a while to sort this out. But look at what I'm doing. I'm really here. I've, ri- I've risen from the dead. I am fully alive in the same body in which I died. Here I am. And it dawns on the disciples that this is exactly the kind of news that gives them joy. The kind of news that we need too. It's not just that a man happened to rise from from the dead and, you know, accidents of science do happen. No, it's this, that God himself raised Jesus from the dead And here he is, the one who suffered for our sins and took them to the tomb, is standing before the disciples with victory over death, his two feet planted on the earth, 
What this means is simply this, that our sins and that life that we knew of shame and guilt, it's behind us. And now what lies ahead of us, because of what Christ has done, is is a life of new creation. That there is a new start, a new beginning. That's what this farewell appearance of Jesus shows us, that the resurrection changes everything. It gives us hope for the future. It gives us victory over death. It gives us forgiveness of sins. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? That's why the disciples are said to be disbelieving for joy. Do you see that odd phrase in your Bibles? says it right there in verse 41. And while the disciples still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Now, what does that mean? I'm sure all of you have had something like this where you hear a news or you, you see something happen in your life and you say, pinch me. Am I dreaming? Maybe it's, you know, some of you, I know this has happened recently. You, you find out that um, your boyfriend is uh, proposing to you. Is this really happening right now? Or maybe you, 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 you receive a call and you're getting uh, the, the job of your dreams is being offered to you. You say, wait, is, am I, is this real life? You ever had that news that just comes to you and you say, okay, this doesn't feel real right now. But, but this is what's happening as, as the disciples hear this news about Jesus, that the disciples' reaction is simply saying this, This is so amazing that Jesus is risen from the dead. Can people really rise from the dead? Is there really a better life on the other side of the grave? Is there really hope for forgiveness um, of my sins? Is there a story that reaches beyond the tomb for Jesus and for me? And the answer is yes. Jesus is saying yes. The scriptures testify to it. All of them, from Moses to the prophets, uh, to the books of wisdom, all of it was, was pointing to this very fact. That we ourselves do not need to see Jesus before us with his hands out and, and touching his wombs. We have uh, not only the words uh, of the eyewitness, eyewitness testimony that saw it, but we have the scriptures, the very things that convinced the the disciples ultimately that this was not something that was too good to be true, but was really reality. That all along the scriptures were saying that Jesus would rise from the dead. That's the first thing that Jesus really wants us to see is um, as he is saying farewell for a time, we can have great joy because he is risen. We talk often with our, our Muslim friends in this church. Um, we have a Quran Bible discussion in which we meet and, and talk with friends, neighbors that are, are Muslim. And, and if you talk with them, they'll, they'll talk about a Jesus that has ascended into heaven. But one of the things we regularly revisit, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything from the pulpit that would surprise them. I, I talk to them about this all the time is it's not enough to have a Jesus that's ascended into heaven. If he didn't die and rise again from the dead, that's the one thing, one of the things that our Muslim friends don't believe that Jesus really died and took our sins to the tomb 
and then rose again in newness of life. That's what makes sense of his farewell. That's what makes it this wonderful thing that he has ascended to the right hand of the father and we will uh, have the hope of going with him from this life to the next, following him from this life into glory. That's good news. And it's good news also because of this second piece of joy that Jesus gives us. He gives us a second gift uh, right here. In verse 46, he says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. What what is this gift that Jesus is giving to his disciples? The second gift of his farewell speech. It's simply this. It is joy that comes to us from Jesus because he gives us a purpose to live out after he is lifted up. You ever come to a time in your life when you've been living for something and really focused on uh, some major event and it comes upon you and then when it's gone, you just have the sinking feeling in your heart and it says, that was it. That's what I was waiting for. Now it's gone. What's next? You ever had that feeling? Maybe, maybe it's when you, you, you graduate and, and have a degree or you get married and you, or something like that. You, know, you reach some place in life that was your goal and you say, okay, now it's gone. Well, that's something that the disciples very well could have felt as it dawns on them that Jesus is risen from the dead. As, as soon as they are marveling and wondering at this, the, the thought had to have crept, crept into their mind at some point in those 40 days that Jesus was, was with them. Okay, what happens now? Is this it? He's risen from the dead. And we're just kind of waiting until we die and then we go to be with him. It's, it's a good thought, but you know what? An even better thought is, a thought that fills you with joy, it's this, that Jesus, the the risen Savior who has ascended to the right hand of God on high, has given you a mission to live out in light of his resurrection. That's good. What is that mission? You already heard of it. That repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You see, here's the thing, that the Jews knew at the time of Jesus that there would be a day when God would fulfill his promise to the nations. What was his promise to the nations? Genesis chapter 12, that in Abraham and in his offspring, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And they they trusted and believed that there would come a day when Isaiah 49 would be fulfilled and that the people of God would be a light to the nations. But here's the thing, they believed that that would be fulfilled by the nations coming to them. They thought, okay, we're just going to wait for God to act and then then the nations are going to start coming towards us. You know, they'll, they'll catch on. They'll see what happens. God will bring them. But the shocker, the absolute shock that would come from Jesus' words to these believing Jews was this, that they're going to fulfill those promises, all right, but they're going to do that by going out to the nations. The nations aren't coming to Jerusalem, as it were. Jerusalem is going to the nations. And isn't that what the whole book of Acts is about? You come to the end of Luke and you think, all right, that's it. But guess what? There's a sequel. 
And just as you, know, you, you might get kind of sad when you come to the end of one of your favorite seri- book series and you say, oh, I guess that's it. Oh, but the author has a sequel. And it's this wonderful thing where you say, I guess there, there's more of the story to be told. And indeed there is for Jesus and for us. And that story is simply this, that the ascended Savior who has victory over death sends forth good news to the nations, the news that his resurrection, the life that is his, can be the life of any who believe in him and call upon his name. A great privilege taking a message of victory over sin and death to a world gripped by darkness. He says this, you will be my witnesses. Do you realize that those, that commission, that great commission, is not only for the disciples, but for you? That Jesus' farewell address is for you as well? And when he calls you to be witnesses, do you realize Brothers and sisters, that there is no greater purpose than to be witnesses of the resurrected and ascended Savior starting right here where you're at. Where do we start? Downtown Dayton. The gospel starts where it's planted and it goes out and out and out and out and out like shockwaves echoing. That's the book of Acts. And it's also the pattern for you and for me. Are we ready? Are we ready to keep up that task? We came to the end of a chapter recently. We um, became a particular church, a a church that was a new and separate congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's almost like that great event happened and then, you know, you think, well, what, what, what comes next? Here's what comes next what we've been seeking to do all along, really, but even more so now, we're taking the good news, being witnesses to Jesus. And we do that through our ministry of mercy, and we do that through our words. It's a wonderful task. You say, well, pastor, you know, okay, I believe that. I believe that Jesus has that sequel for me today. I believe that after the gospel comes Resurrection mission. But how? How can I be witnesses to Jesus? How can I know what to say and have the right words? And and how can I be his witnesses if he's gone? That had to also sink into the hearts of the disciples. They say, Jesus, these are very kind farewell gifts. You've given us this proof that you really are raised. You've given us um, this... this, uh, Mission, this purpose to live out. But Jesus, how can we be witnesses? He says, well, I have another gift for you. A gift full of great joy as you see it unwrapped because it's this. Jesus gives us the power of God's presence even as he ascends into heaven. A power to equip us to be Witnesses, And we see that right here in verse 49. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What is Jesus talking about here? 
He's talking about a dynamic power to fulfill the very mission he's calling him to do. And the book of Acts tells us what this power is, that this power is not so much a what. In fact, the power is a who, a person. Kids, who is the person that is poured out from Jesus once he ascends into heaven? The Holy Spirit. This is the third great gift from Jesus. And we see this in the book of Acts that uh, we're going to see this in the sequel. Yeah, I already dropped it. We're going to go on to the book of Acts after a time in another book. You'll hear about that soon. But after we spend a little bit of time in another book, the plan is to go on to Acts. And what we're going to see in, in Acts chapter one and two is this, that that power from on high is none other than the Holy Spirit who with flames and rushing wind comes down upon the people. You see, just as soon, just as, soon as Jesus goes up, his personal presence comes down to be with the disciples. Jesus knew that we could never make it on our own. He knew that proof and purpose were not enough, but we need the power of God. We need the best possible parting gift from him. And what is the best possible parting gift? It's God himself. This passage is so uh, Trinitarian. It's... (laughs) Who do you have? You have the Son of God speaking of the Father who has promised the Spirit and Him sending the Spirit with the Father. You almost can't find a better text to point to why we believe that God is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And here is uh, the person of the Spirit able to give us words when we don't know what to say to people about Jesus. We don't know how to be witnesses. Able to change stone cold hearts with the grace of repentance. First Thessalonians 1.5 says this, that the gospel that we bring comes not in words alone, but also in power and with the Holy Spirit. If only I had the, if only my words had enough power to break through the the sin that has blinded people from truth. If only my words to people about Jesus had enough power to, uh, to change lives. If only my feeble words, you know, my fleeting testimony to the Lord Jesus could send shockwaves through someone's heart. You know, you can't do that. But God's spirit with you, indwelling you, and speaking through your words can do that. And that spirit is able to bring Jesus near to us and to others because he's God. The spirit that Jesus sends is God himself come to bring the father and the son into our hearts and to take us, as it were, up to God. What better gift could Jesus give us than God himself? Do you you believe that? That if you believe in Jesus, you have the power of God with you, indwelling you until you are raised up in glory. These are beautiful parting gifts designed carefully for a people who 
have a hard time with goodbyes. Proof of his resurrection, a purpose to live out after he has ascended, and the power of his presence from on high. But there's one other gift, and Jesus gives it to you in case you're just still kind of disbelieving for joy. It's right here. In verse 50, as he ascends, what does he do? He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. You see, friends, the final joy, the final gift is the joy of Christ's blessing. His benediction, his final farewell words, you could say. It's like the cherry on top of this beautiful final farewell speech. It's the last thing that Jesus is doing as he's lifted up and disappears from his sight. He lifts his nail-pierced hands and he pours out with words a priestly blessing upon any who have embraced him by faith. You know what that does? If ever you're saying, well, I just, I just don't know if I, I really have what it takes to, um, to live without Jesus' physical presence near me. And you should look at this passage and realize that Jesus uh, poured out upon his disciples and you a blessing to assure you that there is nothing that keeps you from the favor of God. You are accepted by God in Christ Jesus. He says this with his blessing. I have died. In dying, I took upon myself the curse and fully removed it. So that your future is what? Favor with God. Blessing poured out upon you. A guarantee that the risen Savior who gives you his purpose surely gives you his spirit. And that blessing rests upon you to carry you even now all the way to glory. Now that is a beautiful gift of your priest who even now is interceding for you with his blessing. How do we respond? We respond with verse 52, with worship with great joy. That's what the, the, the disciples did. They, he said, Jesus, Jesus has departed from our sight, but we have so much ahead of us. There's a whole sequel to live out. And so friends, if your response to this passage is not worship, but doubts, but disbelief, then I'd encourage you, I'd urge you to linger longer. In fact, linger over this passage as long as it takes for you to investigate the claims of Jesus and to embrace his blessing as your own and say, Jesus, I need that blessing upon me. I need your blessing so that I can be part of your sequel here in Dayton and beyond. I need my life changed so that I can be a force to change the lives of others. I need to be part of your worship. And even as we disbelieve with joy, as believers in this life struggle to really believe that this isn't too good to be true, but it's real. That's truth of every believer at some point, isn't it? And we say, man, this is all so good. Could it really be true? We need to return to this passage and look at the blessing of Jesus upon us and say, he's given us proof. He's he's given us the purpose. He's given us even his Holy Spirit and the blessing for, for our journey ahead of us.
Jesus, would you help me to believe for joy, to be convinced of everything that you've given us, have certainty in our hearts that everything in this gospel is for us and the sequel is just beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what great gifts you've given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gifts designed for our good. Gifts designed for a people who have a hard time with goodbyes. Help us to really believe that the Lord, even though he, we are absent from him uh, bodily, uh, that he is close to us by his spirit. And he is with us even now, with us to bless us. And Lord, help us to be living out even now the sequel, even as we prepare, uh, prepare to hear in the future of this church, uh, teaching and preaching from the book of Acts, that we would be living out that sequel even now by the power of your spirit on mission for Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.